0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Tales from the CSAP Floor. My name is Marcus I. Saxon and I'm going to be your host today. And today I have the honor of hosting Steve Kramer. And you might be wondering, who is Steve Kramer? Well, Steve is an enablement solutions architect that also has a big role in deciding the CSAP curriculum, which he also teaches to the CSAPers in a great fashion through this jovial approach. Steve is also a proud father of three and a husband of one. How do you like my introduction of you, Steve?
1: I like it. And what I think was, you even went for like jovial, which is a strong word. I don't know if I... Does jovial mean... I always think of like Santa Claus. Is that what we're going for?
0: Well, you know what? You would be a good Santa Claus.
1: (laughs) Is that... uh, Do I take that as a compliment?
0: Man, who doesn't like Santa Claus?
1: All right. All right. I guess that's fair.
0: But uh, I actually... I'm gonna be honest with you. I had to look it up because it's a common word to use in, Nor- in Norway. And oh, is it really? Typed, I typed "what is jovial" in English, and it was jovial. So, and you are jovial.
1: Oh, okay. So it, so is jovial? How you say it in Norwegian?
0: Jovial. Uh,
1: oh, jovial. Yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Mm, yeah. So I can, I can now say I speak a little Norwegian.
0: You definitely can. Oh, okay. Husband. That's a Norwegian word. Bag. There's there's a lot of Norwegian in English.
1: I'm nailing this. Maybe we need to adapt the intro that says multilingual teacher Steve Kramer.
0: Yeah. Just put it. Definitely put it on your LinkedIn page because I didn't see any any of that. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> Let me go edit it right now.
0: <laughs> oh, no, i wait. We have time. It's, this is just a podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just yeah. so a podcast. Yeah. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, so uh, I have some questions uh, for you, talking about career movement, mistakes you've made, because it looks like you've made a lot of mistakes. Wow! <laughs> and, uh, and what you've learned from your mistakes, because you know we are in the C-SAP. We're told that we're going to make a lot of mistakes, and that's that's very true. So yeah. I want to hear from you. Like, how do you learn from your mistakes? But I first have uh, want to start with your career movement in Cisco, because you're obviously not from Amsterdam, and you're living in Amsterdam now. You're from yep. uh, Utah and
1: Originally, you've, yep. been
0: at, you've been at Cisco for 12 years and there, there's been some moments, Like What challenges have you faced when changing position and uh, moving
1: locations? Well, so I started in the CSAT program back in way back when, too long to remember, and I went from there into the field in the public sector role as an SE and that was something that was super exciting for me. And for the next five years, I was just trying to figure out that role and there was a lot of failure there. But then I switched over to the territory role in the commercial side. So that's small and medium businesses and things like that covering hundreds of accounts. And then I moved over to the commercial select side where I covered larger accounts, about 10 or so, 10 to 12. And then I came over here. And when you say it like that, it sounds fairly linear. You know, oh, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did that. What I don't mention in that kind of linear things of what I did is is I applied to be a CSE when I was in public sector on the collaboration side, and I didn't get it. When I was on the commercial side, I applied to be a manager, and I didn't get it. I applied to be for this role, actually, and didn't get it. And then I applied to be a manager again, and I didn't get it. And then I finally got this role that I'm in now. A lot of people will just be like, oh, I did this, 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 this. And then they conveniently kind of leave out, oh, but I tried this and didn't get it. Tried this, didn't get it. Tried this, didn't get it. Tried this, didn't get it. So like like you mentioned in your intro, I've made tons of mistakes. I don't know if I'd say mistakes, but I've I've had failures in my life. I've had things that I haven't been able to achieve at that point in time.
0: It's really good that you actually say that, because when we hear about Everyone like the the more experienced people they have we, we listen to a lot of they have a lot of speeches for us and we hear like what they've done yeah I don't really mention what they what were not able to achieve so like wow hey this guy is so like on point he's doing like he's done that and that and that yeah and it's like it's been so easy
1: I think that's somewhat on purpose but also it may be a little subconscious because we don't want to focus on that. Sometimes we only want to present the best selves, you know, to everyone else and say, Hey, this is what I did. And that can be good and bad because when people present that uh, they almost frame it like, Oh, this is how easy it is. I did this. I did this. I did this. It was super straightforward. And so when that doesn't happen to you, you're like, well, I must be doing something wrong then, or I must not be good enough. Right. And, That's not the case. Everyone's going to have failures in their lives and everyone's not going to be able to achieve it. And I think it's a little healthy to talk about those because you can learn from those things and present realistic expectations of what happens in your career and in your development. And I think that's sometimes beneficial. I don't mean to be like, you know, Debbie Downer of like, well, I didn't get this or anything like that. But to to have those opportunities to to learn and to grow from those, I think is something that is super helpful for me.
0: I like to say that. So could you like tell us how you dealt with it when you didn't get that that position? Like, did you yeah? Uh, Would you like several weeks crying? Uh, <laughs> uh, did you call Did you call your mom or your dad? Or, <laughs> what do you do? And uh, what have you learned?
1: Here's what I've learned over the years. So I've been doing this for a bit and. I have learned that there is something, always something to learn from failures. And the sooner that I can figure out what that thing is, the better I can be and the quicker I can kind of rebound from it. When I first started and like that first job, when I got the CSE one, when I didn't get that CSE job, I was pretty down on myself and I had kind of a like an imposter syndrome where I felt that I wasn't good enough, where I said, hey, you know, I am obviously not qualified for this and I was kind of, I wasn't very jovial or jovial, as they say in Norwegian. But what I learned is a couple of things. One is I can always improve on things and two, that there is always an opportunity to see what faults or what deficiencies I can improve upon. So I even started to incorporate that into my coming interviews. So for example, when I was applying for one of the manager jobs that I didn't get, I had an analogy that I shared with them where uh, I talked about running and I used to live in Colorado and way back when, so small backstory, I am not an athlete you get luckily, this isn't only on audio, so you can't see this, but i'm I'm not what one would call an athletic person per se. I was in band in high school. I have a slight case of asthma and and now I have three kids and one wife. and so I am slowly cultivating this dad bod that I don't want to have per se. And so when I was in Colorado, I started to pick up running, and i I hate running and i am really annoyed by people who like running because i think they're just they've got screws missing in their head right
0: i've been running two months straight now because i have nothing else to do yeah but you're right. i have a lot of failures too in my life yeah I'm, I'm
1: running part. <laughs> and, and running right but i have this loop In and, and when i was in colorado i had this little loop that i'd run it's like a two mile loop it's not that it's not that bad i mean obviously i know my Anyone that's running here is going to be rolling their eyes, but for an asthmatic former band geek, this is like the New York City Marathon for me, okay? So just bear with me. And at the end of this two-mile loop, there was this section that was an incline in Colorado. It was, you know, a, a hilly incline, and it was about, you know, 700, 800 meters or something like that. So not terrible, right? Something that's that's doable, but I could never run up that incline. I always had to stop. And, and take a breath. And I got so frustrated with it. And so what I started to do was, I started to just focus on one thing. And I said, all right, this time, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna work on my breathing. And so I'd start to run and I was, you know, I started on a cadence of like two short ins and one long out is what I focused on, right? And so I did that and I'm like, all right, here we go, here we go, we're gonna do this. And I didn't make it, I, I still failed, but I got a little bit farther. And so I said, all right, now I've got the breathing down. Now I'm going to focus on, you know, my knees or my feet or, you know, whatever it is. And I started to incorporate things little by little. And gradually I got further and further up the hill until one day I ran it. And then I continued to run it. And it wasn't just this one kind of, hey, I don't know if the snap comes through an audio, but hey, this light turning on, but you, you change this one thing and now you're, an ultra marathoner, right? It was a progression that I had to do. And that's something that I've taken to heart with all these failures that I've had is what can I learn? What can I add to my personal development to make me more successful in the future? It's nothing is a silver bullet. I'm not just one thing away from being this perfect Cisco specimen, right? It's a culmination of these things that I learn. And I learn... Well, I learned really well from my failures. And so I think that's a great opportunity for us to to assess what can I do better when I fail? Because if you don't fail, then you're not pushing yourself hard enough.
0: Yeah, that is what we we're told from the start when we we're starting in the CSAP. Like you are going to make mistakes. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not really trying. So I've, I made a ton of mistakes. So yeah. talking to partners, said stuff I shouldn't have said, given prices I shouldn't have given, you know, and like... It, it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not an A to B lesson. It's kind of an A to C. It takes there's a lot of steps. Uh, after a while, you you learn.
1: Yeah, but it, I think that's part of it too is understanding how to learn from those mistakes. Like for example, when I was younger, I I grew up in Utah, best snow on the earth, right as they say in their license plate holders. And in about eighth grade, I was skiing. We had they, my school had a night skiing program where they would take you from school, you'd ride into a bus, and you'd get to go ski the slopes at night. And it was awesome. It was super fun. I, I've done
0: exactly the exact same thing in Norway. I yeah. that's so
1: nice. Right? So there was one time when I was still I, – I had skied okay. I wasn't anything special, you know, but I was skiing okay. And so I was taking this turn. I was night skiing, and I was coming down the mountain, And there was one part of the mountain where I just couldn't get a a turn. I was going too fast and I couldn't get my edges in and things like that. And so I smacked right into a tree. Literally like bear hugged the tree like in the cartoons, right? So just smashing against it. And obviously huge failure in my part. Now, what I should have done is pick myself up and learned and said, all right, I need to understand how to carve a little bit better and lean into the turns more. What I did instead is I said, skiing sucks, I hate it. And I gave it up for 10 years or so. And I didn't pick it up till I was back in like college or something like that. And then when I got back on the slopes, finally, I realized how much I like skiing and all of that time that I had missed because I hadn't learned from my failures, right? And so I was really frustrated with myself. And I think that was that's part of the reason why I'm so keen on learning from my failures and not getting down on myself and saying, you know, being an SE sucks or customers suck or whatever it is. Right. I think there's so much that we can learn from it. And if we, if we focus on that, I think that that helps us enormously as we're trying to uh, develop in our personal careers. Yeah.
0: Actually funny story from uh, like my side as well, like right? very, very competitive. And I I did uh, competitive competitive skiing and I really hated when I lost.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and sometimes I would fall uh, after like in the mid-, mid of the run, and I would get so angry that I would throw my poles away. Yeah. And one time the poles ended up in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to climb up the pole and get climb up the tree and get the pole. So the embarrassment was even bigger and I kind of just learned like, okay, you're not going to win every time. Sometimes you're going to fall. I kind of just keep going, just crying and being a little, yeah, little bee about it. It doesn't help.
1: Yeah, it, it, it really doesn't. And that's what we're trying to teach our kids is just say, Hey, you're going to make mistakes. We're all learning here. This is just an opportunity is what are you going to do when you fall? It's not the question of if you're going to fail, It's what are you gonna do when you fail? Yeah, right? And so hopefully they understand that and can see that there's opportunity for growth there.
0: I actually wanna kinda change the subject a little bit. You know, Cisco is a big international company. I hope you know by now.
1: I'm aware, slightly, yes.
0: So, uh, and there's a lot of multicultural uh, teams and I bet you have been a part of them. As, uh, as you an American, maybe in, uh, in the US, there's more uh, just Americans working together when you come to Europe. Have you seen any difference? Have you learned something working with people from uh, different places of this great planet we have?
1: I have uh, so appreciated the opportunity that I've had to to be here in Amsterdam and to work with people from across the globe. So. In Colorado, we had some people that were, you know, from not around there, but it was fairly, we all kind of thought the same, had the same interests. We were all part of this kind of collective that we worked well together, but we all kind of traveled down the same direction. And what I've learned from here in Amsterdam is that there are so many different cultures and thought processes and the way that people address problems, right? And... To see that in individuals, I'm trying to glean the most out of, out of all of that, right? And I, what I love about being in here is the opportunity to have that in such a concentrated place, right? In one classroom, I can have people from Qatar, from UAE, from Germany, Norway, from Switzerland, from France, Spain, all of that. And to see how everyone interoperates together that's something that has been really, really cool for me to see. One of the other things that I've noticed is how many idioms I use or like slang that I use that I need to make sure that, that don't necessarily translate, right?
0: I, I don't know if you remember, but you uh, you facilitated one of my classes. And, yeah. Uh, since I've lived in the U.S. for a while. I understood a lot of your slangs and jokes, but sometimes it's only me laughing. <laughs>
1: and, that, and that's hard, right? And so I I hopefully throughout this process I've worked on finding a way to explain things without having to rely on that. And I think honestly, that makes me hopefully a better facilitator because I don't need to rely on analogy or, you know, terms of phrase as, as a crutch. So if I say things like, Oh, this is pretty cookie cutter and everyone kind of gives me a blank stare and I have to explain what a cookie cutter is, you know, I'm speaking from a place of privilege where English is my first language. So I can just rattle on and speak when I get excited, I speak quickly and I need to make sure that I am, I am being thoughtful and, and deliberate and making sure that everyone's understanding. And so hopefully that makes me a better facilitator where I can have a, a phrase and a sentence uh, thought out succinctly. Cause there's many, many times where I'll start a sentence and I don't know how it ends and I'll just kind of hopefully get to the end somehow. And this, is, this has helped me try to just be very deliberate about what I'm saying and how I'm saying it. And that's something that hopefully I can carry on as I address, you know, larger uh, groups of people or, or, you know, CEOs or CXOs and things like that. Having that ability to speak deliberately, but still clearly and powerfully. That makes a lot of sense uh, because being a teacher, it is not
0: easy to see if everyone understands what you're like trying to say because we are like 20 people in there not everyone yeah. gets it right away and yeah. someone gets it and you kind of have to like yeah, uh, tense that out
1: yeah i, I always use the analogy uh, i'd share this story in, in the classes that i teach but my father's a pediatrician and when you go to medical school if you're learning a new procedure you see one being done then you do it yourself but the mastery of the procedure doesn't come until you teach one. So see one, do one, teach one. And so there's something different about sitting on one side of the desk versus the other. If I'm passively listening to someone teach, I can absorb that information and I think I understand it. But I have to, if I have to turn around and then vocalize that information that I just received... It engages a different part of the brain that really, I think, helps cement that knowledge into your brain, right? Because I need to think about what I'm actually saying and crystallize that as opposed to just like, you only he said something about switches and something about routers. It really forces you to have concrete thoughts about what you want to say to those people. And that really helps drive that mastery of that topic. Yeah, Definitely.
0: I also want to ask you, actually, about more uh, your plan and the future, because you, you do have three kids, and I'll tell you this, I moved to Houston when I was, well, I lived there when I was a little young, then I, did, I, didn't, I had no choice, but when I was, when I was uh, 14, uh, like my brother was 16, and my sister was, uh, uh, I don't know, 10, yeah. my father has asked us if we wanted to move, we lived in Norway, he asked us, is it okay if we move to uh, Houston? I said yes right away and my brother did too and there's a reason for it, we were going to get our car license, like a driver's license, Yeah, very fast, so uh, you're probably going to want to move uh, one time and your kids are probably loving it here in Amsterdam, so I just want, want to let you know that be smart about it when you're going <laughs> to move.
1: So I need to like dangle a, a driver's license over their head to get them to move back, is that what you're saying?
0: Well, yeah. So if they show no interest in cars now, now you start having to give, like, buying them, like,
1: like, something like that. It's been interesting to have that opportunity here with kids. So I grew up in Utah, and we were all fairly similar. You get into these bubbles of of comfort, right? You know your friends, you know what foods you like, what fast food restaurants you like, all of that good stuff. And I had the opportunity to travel internationally when I was about. 16 or so. And when I did that for the first time, it really just opened my eyes up to there's an entire world out there that I wanted to see and to experience and cultures that I wanted to experience and and try to drive that. And so when my wife and I were talking about this opportunity with Cisco, that was one of the big driving factors was, can we give that opportunity to our kids at an earlier stage to hopefully help them have a bigger understanding of the world around him and not just the little tiny bubble. And so your dad's nicer than, than, than I was. I just said, hey, we're going. <laughs> Strap in, kids. <laughs> we're going to do this. One of the things that we talked about that, that I was telling my wife was our life in Colorado had reached kind of this point where we had a pretty stable life. If you imagine kind of a, a, a line graph, it was fairly straight. It kind of goes up and down a little bit. But we were kind of just at a point as far as our comfort, our happiness, the things we were doing. There wasn't much deviation. When we moved here and when we were considering here, I imagined that line that the dips would start to go up and down a lot more. Like our lows would be lower, but our highs would be higher. And that has definitely been the case. And... We have had some amazing experiences here, but it's also been there's been struggles. What's what we've been trying to focus on, and and what my wife and I, what we try to do in this regard is, we try to stick the landing. And what I mean by that is, there's a movie called Apollo 13, and it was it was back in the '90s. So obviously, again, dating myself, Marcus. I know you weren't born at that point yet, but trust me, it's a good movie.
0: I've seen it. It's one. Of, it's it's a it's a classic.
1: Okay. So there's a point in this where they're coming back from the moon, they weren't able to land on the moon So they're trying to get back to earth and they need to make a course adjustment But their navigation computer is off and they can't do anything about it And so Tom Hanks says I've got the earth in the window if I can keep the earth in the window Then we'll be fine. And so they hit the burner and it goes just crazy and the It the capsule shaking all over the place and it's going nuts up down up down but then they end up with the earth in the window. And so I always tell my wife, I said, look, we just got to end up with the earth in the window. If we, you know, we can have all of this craziness and we're going to have ups and downs and and everything like that. But if we end up with the earth in the window, we're going to be okay. And that's kind of a guiding philosophy that we've had while we've been here. And we've definitely, we've gone up and down and all around, but we've had the earth in the window. So hopefully that works out.
0: (laughs) That That makes a lot of sense. We, we kind of just said it takes one year. So it's going to be one year that's kind of weird or a lot of ups and downs. And after that, it's going to be a lot better.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah,
0: that was kind of true. You know what? I've had a great conversation with you. I hope the listeners uh, will find this quite interesting. Uh, I want to thank you a lot for uh, taking your time to join uh, the Tales from the that floor. So thank you so much. Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate it.